You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Good morning, church. Um, our reading for today will be taken from the Gospel of Luke 14, verse 15 to 24. The parable of the great banquet. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who eats at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is not ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still, another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered the servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my great banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Richmond. Man, these parables, they're hard. And, and they're Jesus' sharpest teaching and strongest rebuke, if you look back over them, of, of religious people who are, who are doing a lot of religious things, but their hearts are far from God. God wants our heart. They were like many today, believing in their own righteousness and maybe not even knowing it. Believing in their own righteousness before God, while at the same time storing up more comfort and more treasure for themselves, leading their own lives, following their own path, but their hearts are far from God. You see, Jesus has no tolerance for those who think they can bypass his work on the cross, who think they can solve their own sin problem, even if they don't even though they're trying to, who believe they can somehow be reconciled and be okay when they meet God because of their own deeds. Here's what Jesus said one time to to a bunch of religious leaders. It's in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. Happy Jubilee weekend, huh? This is, this is heavy. You look great. You look clean. You look really good. But inside your hearts are just dirty. See, we're closer to the religious of Jesus' day than we ever dared believe. And see, we just see them when we read these scriptures. But 
As C.S. Lewis famously said, God has to deal with the one person who's the biggest problem in our life, us. See, the Bible speaks to this when it says in, 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 in Romans 3.10 and Romans 3.23, part of that Romans road, there's, there's no one righteous, it says, not even one. It says all, all have fallen short. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sometimes we don't even know we're trying to do it on our own. But here, here's what it looks like. I'm going I'm to pick on Rich for a second. He didn't know this. It's going to be really simple. Let's just say this is a cup of righteousness. Take that, please. This is a cup of righteousness. And, and there's a cup of righteousness somewhere, somewhere in this room, Rich. It's somewhere in the room. And, and you have to hit the mark, right, with that. So I don't want anybody to get hurt. So he's, he's going to toss it wherever he might think this cup of righteousness is. And it's okay. Just don't hurt anybody, Rich. Where is it? Okay. Okay. Is that it? No, he didn't hit it. It fell short. He missed the mark. And we do that. We try and we try and we try. We, sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. I'm just following my own desires and I think I'll be okay. But Jesus is there. He's like, no, 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 just, just follow me. I got you. And, and sometimes we want to turn and we want to do it our own way. And then, then we meet him again. No, 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 come on. I got you. I'm the, I'm the only one that can lead you into righteousness. Just seek me, just follow me, and, and, and you'll find it. You'll find it. But only when you follow me. Only when you follow me. There's no way you can do it on your own. That's a silly little childlike analogy, but that's the picture we, we have to see. See, here, here's where we're going today. Some of you have said, yes, yes, I want to be with you eternally. Yes, I give up my life. Yes, some of you have done that, but you've never let him really take over your heart, really let him take over your life. You're still trying to do it your own way. You haven't surrendered. And some of you, some of you have never even heard the gospel clearly. Would you believe there could be people sitting in church for years and never hear the gospel clearly? I can't tell you how many times I've talked to them. You were born in sin. You're separated from God. And, and that's why you're confused. That's why nothing seems to fully satisfy but God. Anytime you see that in scriptures, it's really good. He sent his son to die for your sins and he, and he raised his son from the dead so that his Holy Spirit could lead you to his best life, to his righteousness. Not your own. Let's pray. Lord, help us please. Help us please to understand you better. To help us to understand where our hearts are inclined towards right now. Have we ever really heard you clearly? Have we ever really surrendered them? And we know it's a work in process, but help us, Lord, today and evermore to follow you and only your design and your righteous path for your best for our life. In Jesus' name, amen. In Hebrews 4.12, it says this. It says that the word of God is, is living and active, more powerful than any two-edged sword. But then it says the word of God, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. 
If you just dive into God's word, if you just make that a regular practice, it's going to tell you where your heart is. So as we look at these parables today, I want you to consider where your heart is. I want you to, to, to think about, do you really have any affection for God? Are you just doing some religious things a few times a week? You remember those third soil people we studied in the parable of the soils, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. What did they do? They came in, they choked out the word, any chance of a path of righteousness towards God. Remember the rich ruler that Pete taught us about, who instead of investing his life in God's kingdom, he built bigger barns to house more wealth and more treasure. Man, we'd never do that, would we? (laughs) Glad we're not like those people, huh? That was sarcasm, by the way. These these religious leaders' hearts that we're going to look at, they've gotten so twisted that they felt like not helping someone out just because it was Sabbath, that that was pleasing to God. They felt like, and I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if we feel like this. I wonder if we feel like it's okay not to ever grow in affection towards God. I wonder if we feel like it's, it's okay for our hearts never to be broken for the hurting. I wonder if we feel like it's okay that we've never, we've never been broken for those who don't have Jesus. It's not okay. You have to be growing. You have to be following. You have to be being changed by the Holy Spirit. The the religious leaders, remember, they walked right past a half-dead man, and they thought they were doing right. They thought they were doing okay. They actually thought they were following God's best plan for their lives by walking right past a half-dead man in the parable of the Good Samaritan. But they weren't. They're following their own way. They're following their own heart. And that is what the world is telling us today, right? Follow your heart. You see, I don't want my kids or any of the kids or young men or young ladies that I work with to follow their own heart. I don't. I want them to follow Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit who has entered their heart through repentance. And Pete shared with us last week one of seven times that Jesus healed on the Sabbath, which was one of the things that the religious leaders hated, and he knew it. That's why he did it. This old crippled lady Pete told us about last week had been coming to the synagogue, right? For 18 years, they had never prayed over her. They didn't even know her name, and Jesus heals her immediately. I love it. And were they excited? Yes, she's been healed. No, they were mad because he had broken a rule, a rule that they thought was a rule. But here's where we really, we really need to pay attention as we read the scriptures, because every time, every time in the book of Luke, when Jesus heals on the Sabbath, you see, every time he does that, he talks about what it looked like in the end. See, if you have that kind of attitude, here's what it's going to look for, like for you in the, in the end. That's what Jesus says in the book of Luke. And in, in Luke 13, he talks about, it was a narrow road that you must be on, and only the narrow road that leads to the feast in the kingdom of God. That's heaven. It's only on the narrow road it's going to lead you to heaven. Check it out. It's in Luke 13, 26. On that day, Luke 13, 26, on that day, many of you will say, Jesus is saying, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. We taught about you in our streets. But Jesus will reply, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. Away from me, 
you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth there when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves will be thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places in the feast of the kingdom of God. And he goes on in this chapter 14 talking about this same feast. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and the first who will be last. Jesus is saying on that day when the owner of the house, God is welcoming people into his kingdom forever and you will stand before that God. Many will say, I ate and drank with you. I even taught about you. I was in church every Sunday. I never missed a meetup. And he'll say, but I didn't know you. Your heart was all about you. Your life was all about you. Your pursuits were all about you. You wanted nothing to do with me. This is hard truth. This is why Paul challenges us to examine ourselves. Look, you have some, no, I mean, we have some crazy narrow roads in this country. And that makes driving harder, especially when you're driving on the wrong side. Okay, I didn't say that. It's, it's the proper side. There's some narrow, narrow roads. And it's not the easiest. And the narrow road is not the easiest way, but it's best. The question is, are we on it? It's a question I want to think about for the rest. I want to think about that for the rest of my life. Am I on it? Am I on it? Am I on it? I want to stay focused. So how's your love for God? Do you see the sin of others more than the sin in your own heart? Let me ask you this, is spending time with or, or serving God more like going to work or school, or is it more like going for a coffee or a walk with your best friend? I'm going to say that again. Is spending time with or serving God, is it, like, is it like going to school or work, something you feel like you have to do, or is it more like going for a walk or a coffee with a best friend? One one theologian said this about the idolatry of of self. He said, idolatry is when you become the source of your own joy. (sighs) Lord, that would not be so. And in Luke 14, Jesus, who's the true source of our joy, he's pointing us again to himself. And the plot thickens as we look at Luke 14 in this scene. It's not in a synagogue like we saw him last, but it's in a house. And I want to read in in verses 1 through 6. One Sabbath, Luke 14, 1 through 6, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on a Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Jesus is in the house of a prominent Pharisee. This isn't an amateur. This isn't junior varsity. This is a, this is a pro Pharisee, the elite of the elite. And he's being carefully watched. You see, add those things, and he still went. And he still went. I think we would politely decline that invitation. 
But Jesus doesn't seem to deny any invitation to any dinner at any religious leader's house. William Barclay says this, It is to be noted that Jesus never refused any man's invitation of hospitality. I want us to think about this. To the end, he never abandoned hope for people. He would never let a chance go to see one man changed. He would not refuse any, any, even an enemy's invitation. It's as clear as day that we'll never make our enemies our friends if we refuse to meet with them and talk with them. See, our enemy could be that boss. Our enemy could be that coworker. Our enemy could be that friend who is so, so angry. Our enemy could be that relative. And Jesus wants to join us when we meet with them. So Jesus walks into the house and they're watching him and it says a man is in front of Jesus suffering from dropsy, abnormal swelling of the skin. And this is the most ridiculously obvious setup ever. See, the most religious guys in the world all of a sudden, all of a sudden just happen to have a guy in their home who would have been seen as immoral. He would have been seen as unclean because of his swollen features, his condition. He would have never been invited into a religious leader's house. That's why Jesus sends him away immediately. This is hilarious, actually. These guys are trying to trick Jesus. I guess they forgot he was God, right? They're, they're like one of, my, one of my daughters early on put it, putting her hands over her face and says, Daddy, you can't see me. You can't see me. I'm hiding. I, I can see him huddled up, right? right? Like, watch, watch. What's he going to do about this? <laughs> We're going to get him now. It's Jesus. Are you serious? But, but don't miss the sadness. Don't miss the cruelty. Don't miss their stone cold hearts. They used this guy. They used his deformity as a pawn. They're the most religious people, and they didn't even see him as a person to be valued. They didn't see him as a person to be respected, worthy of God's love or care. See, their rules were more important. Their, their comfortable life and status was, was more important. Loving God and loving their neighbor, not important. So Jesus asks them, and I wonder if he's like, come on, guys, really? He's not, he's not playing their game. He says, is it lawful to heal? He sees the guy there. Hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they remain silent. They're on their turf. They're trying to trap him. They're amongst all their, their buddies. But Jesus is always in control. He's never bitter. He's never sped up. He's never frightened. He's never flustered. I love, I love Jesus. I love watching Jesus. And he heals a man immediately. Then he throws them a zinger of scripture. Luke 14, 5 and 6. Now, this is from Exodus 23. Right after he heals the guy, he says this, and it's from Deuteronomy 22. And Jesus takes it a step further. See, in Exodus and Deuteronomy and in Matthew, he asks other religious leaders, if your donkey, your ox, or sheep were in a pit on the Sabbath, would you save it? But here in Luke, he adds something. Look, he asks, what about your child? If, if one of you has a child, verse 5 and 6, or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Where's your heart, he's saying. Don't you see that this man with dropsy that you're trying to use in your, your silly little doctrinal game with me is a man who's hurting? 
He's a man who needs to be healed physically and spiritually, and they're silent. They're dumbfounded. Game, set, match, over. They can't say a word. See, what, what we're seeing here is that the irony of God's kingdom is that the more we focus on ourself, the more we're going to miss all the hurt and all the brokenness that's all around us. You see, the more we focus on ourselves, we're going to miss the main thing. See, Jesus wants, wants us to follow him into that brokenness, into that pain, into that hurt. He wants to follow us there. He wants us to follow him there so he can get more glory there through us. That's where he wants us. But it's a narrow road. It's uncomfortable. We don't want to go there. See, how do we really see people is the question. How quick do we really judge people? I, I had a car cleaning business, and that sounds weird, uh, back in the States at one time when I was coming up, and, and it was this mobile car cleaning business. I could go anywhere and, and wash people's cars. And, and I had been a sales rep for a while, and I would go into this same store to get my gasoline uh, when I was a sales rep, and I would be dressed uh, smartly. I'd be dressed nice, sometimes tied, just, sometimes just regular nice clothes, and I would, I would write, we used to have these things called checks that you would write sometimes. And people actually took them as money, right? Some of you, I'm sorry, I'm dating myself, right? And I would write these, these checks when I was dressed as a sales rep and, and, and into the same little store that was near my house when I got gas and hand it to the clerk, same clerk who was always there, seemed to be always there when I was there. And he would take it, put it in the drawer, have a nice day, let's move on. Then I changed jobs and now I'm a, now I'm a, a car cleaning guy. And I start going to that store, and I'm wet, and I'm dirty, driving this big, dirty van. I remember the first time I pulled out, same check I've been writing for, I don't know, two years? Gave it to the same guy. And he takes that check, and he holds it up to the light. See, back in that day, you could, you could, like, you could like, write a bad check. And he holds it up to the light, and then he's flipping through really, really quick through his bad check list to see if my name's on it. This is, it's getting awkward. I'm standing there. I'm like, really, man? I'm the same guy. Then he puts it in the drawer and says, yeah, yeah, have a nice day. And I walk out of that store that day, and I, I, I didn't know Jesus. But I just remember thinking, he doesn't even know me. He didn't even look at me. I'm the same guy that's been coming in this store for at least two years. He didn't even look at me. He looked at what I was wearing. He probably looked at what I was driving. How do we see people? Do we see people with God's eyes as souls that need Jesus, as broken people that need a Savior who's there waiting for them? You see, he wants our hearts to break for people first, and I've never forgotten that. I can give you five or six more stories just like that. He wants to break our heart so, so, so our heart will break for others so we can see them as people made in his image to be loved and valued. See, I, I love this church because we have so much opportunity with Simone or Richard or Kevin or, or, or Christy or, or so many others to help and serve those who are hurting and in need in our community. And there's more coming. You see, if we're really following Jesus, our diary and our dinner table are going to look different. 
That's what we're seeing here. Because Jesus is still in this house as we go back to this parable. And he's still absolutely dominating these guys, right? In verse 7, verse 7, there's another tiny little parable before the big one that Richmond read. Verse 7 says, When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. See, he, he, he heals this guy, and then he's moving on. He's seeing how they're walking in and taking their places at the table. And he just goes right at them. Remember, he just healed on the Sabbath. And now this little parable he's going to tell, he's going to connect it to those. These guys walking in, he's going to connect. He wants them to hear, well, look, I know you're picking your places now, but here's what it's going to look like in the end, at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Here's what it's going to look like. So he tells those picking their seats, no, 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 no. Listen to this. And verses 11 and 13 and 14 are really important. I want to take a look at them. Luke 14, 11, 13, and 14. Here's what he says to him. For all those who exalt themselves, as this is kind of weird, as they're sitting down, he's saying this. For all those who exalt themselves on, on the journey through their lives will be humbled. And those who humble themselves along their journey will be exalted in the end. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, then you'll be blessed. See, although they can't repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He's talking about a wedding feast. He's talking about the end. He's talking about what's your life going to look like leading to that end. And he's saying we better reorient our hearts if we want to be at that feast. Because that feast comes after, comes after the wedding. When the bridegroom Jesus, he comes back and he's coming back. Amen? He's coming back for those who believe. He's coming back for the church. And all of us are walking down the aisle of our lives. I've officiated tons and tons of weddings, and I love them because they're a picture of the gospel. And two of ours are going to get married at the end of July, Lois, in her finest gown, right? She's going to walk down the aisle towards Josh, who'll be beaming and crying in all of her beauty, right? And Josh will be waiting there to receive Lois, who is committed to life with him forever. And it'd be really, really weird if, if, if Josh didn't know Lois when she got to the altar. When she got to the end of that aisle, it'd be really odd if she didn't know Josh. Or, or, or if Lois walks down and, 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 and Josh doesn't know her. They don't know each other. They're not getting married. It's not happening. You don't, the groom doesn't marry a bride that he doesn't know. Do you see where Jesus is going with this? You have to see where it's going. That's the point of the wedding. It's a picture of the gospel. You're walking down the aisle of your life. Every single one of us right now, when you get to the end, Jesus, the groom, he's going to be there. And the only way he's going to usher you into the presence of God, that's the picture you get at weddings. They're ushered before the presence of God to join in this covenant. The only way you get to God is if you've known him, Jesus, and loved him, Jesus and followed Jesus on that, on that journey through your life. How's your walk down the aisle of your life going? Are you serving Jesus? Are you loving Jesus? Are you growing in affection for Jesus? Are you doing some religious things while at the same time building up comfort and wealth and status for yourself and not bearing any fruit for the Lord? Are you growing in your love and affection for God? 
You see, we see in scriptures, and I wondered one time, if the greatest punishment after this life is separation from God eternally. If that's the greatest punishment, then what's the greatest punishment in this life? And if you look at Romans 121, real quick for me, Romans 121, it says this, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then it says, and I don't have it up there, and then it says three times in, in Romans 1, in those scriptures, it says he gave them over. He gave them over. And then he gave them over. You see, here's what it's saying. This is the greatest punishment for you and for me in this life. God will give us over and let us chase things that don't glorify him, even when we think that they do. Go ahead. Go ahead, he'll say. God will give you over and allow you to grow in comfort and wealth and status for yourself and your family, all the while forsaking any growth and fruit of the Spirit. Go ahead. Go ahead. But one day, after you walk down the aisle of your life, you'll meet Jesus. And at that moment, you will have, you have to have known him. You'll have to have trusted him. And you'll have to have loved him. And that is what the closing, what Richmond read for us, that's what this closing parable is about too. And Jesus' message, it doesn't get any easier. It doesn't get any easier. Luke 14. And if you look at verse 15, these guys really, 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 really don't get it. Because there's one guy, there's always that guy, right? There's one guy. <laughs> I wonder how loud he says this. Jesus has just told this scathing parable, this little parable about the wedding feast. Now, none of them are going to be there. And this one guy says, blessed are those like us, like me, he's saying, who are guaranteed a place in heaven, a seat at this great banquet. He probably didn't say it like that, but I mean, come on. He said it. And I wonder if Jesus rolled his eyes. I know I would have. I wonder if he did. I hope he did. But he tells another parable. Richmond already read it. And here's how a feast that it talks about a feast that that a master had had was having. And here's how a feast in Jesus' time worked. You sent out invitations and 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 received people's commitments, so you knew how much food that you had to prepare. And and once the feast was ready, you received an official announcement: "It's ready. Come on." So these people in Jesus' parable, this parable that Richmond already read, they say, "I can't come because I bought a field." I can't come but I, because I just bought five oxen. I can't come because I just got married. They already said they were in. And now they're saying, nah, nah, I can't come. But when the dinner is ready and the master is ready to receive them, they're too busy, they're too distracted, and they can't come. They probably can, but they're too distracted. You see, we, and we don't need to spend time dissecting their excuses about why they didn't come because they don't make any sense. In light of who's inviting them and, and the commitment they already made, the parable in the chapter end with the master of God saying this, my house, my house is going to be full. See, he's going to fill up his kingdom with people who are focused on doing his will, not their own, who are satisfied as his righteousness received through and only through and only by the blood of Jesus. He despises, Jesus hates religious action without a heart inclined towards loving God and loving people. 
but he doesn't despise mistakes. He's willing and ready to watch us make mistakes. He wants us to come in all our weakness, all our loneliness, all our brokenness. Bring it. You see, when that baby takes that first step and face plants, what does the father do? He's smiling and taking pictures. Yes. And then he's right there receiving that baby and propping it up to take another step. Arms wide open. See, this isn't all bad news. Jesus is still as present here today. We've been talking about him a lot. He's still as present here today as he was at that dinner in that house in Luke 14. He's still as present today. And he's still saying, as he said them, yes, no one is righteous, not even one. Yes, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we'll continue to. And yes, the wages of our sin, if we stay in it, are eternal separation from God. But in that same book of Romans, in chapter three, it says this. But the gift of God, in 3.23, but the gift of God is eternal life with and through Jesus Christ. How? How? Well, Romans 5.8 tells us. Because in that same book, chapter 5, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what do we do? What do we do? It says that in Romans 2. I'm not going to read that one. Romans, Romans 10, 10 says, says, you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you too shall be saved. Amen. But we're celebrating Pentecost today. And that historic day in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached and the Holy Spirit went to work, right? In Acts 2, 37 to 39, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? We have to do something. If this is us, we've got to do something. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. This, problem is, this promise is for us, for all who the Lord our God will call. Regardless of where you've been, regardless of where you're at right now, repent and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, your word is, is hard and it's deep and it's rich and it and just can't be parsed in 30 minutes or so. But Lord, you do immeasurably more. It's living and it's active and it's more powerful than any two-edged sword, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart, Lord. So I just pray today and in the coming days that these in this room would dive into your word. They would read it. They would study it. They would share it, that you would move and work in their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.